Well, welcome to Liberty Station. I'm Bryce Eddy. Um, this is the channel where we are a threat to the Great Reset. And um, this is going to be a particularly fun episode for me. And it's uh, it's a special privilege that I have to be here with daughter, uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits. And um, we've got a couple of really special guests, too, because you guys have been out there, you know, making it happen and spreading the, the word on all of the real nefarious stuff that's going on right now. And... Um, I think we need to uh, get bold, and we need to be facing these things head on. Um, to refresh your memory, uh, the first time I got to spend any time with you, uh, five minutes before we got on a plane together to go somewhere, my closest friend uh, had a heart attack, got rushed to the hospital, and I thought I thought it was God's providence at that moment that there I am sitting with you, and we, we spent the flight talking about what's happening with these things and everything, and thankfully, you know, he's, he's good, and, and when we landed, um, I found out that, okay, he survived, he's all right, but, um, you know, I, I was just that whole entire plane flight, like, wow, okay, this is incredible that I get to sit next to you and talk about that, and, you know, just unbelievable, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, hearing more from you and, you know, getting into what you guys have going on right now. But first, I know we're going to have um, Patrick Wood on, and we're going to we're going to pipe him in. And Patrick has been really uh, diving into the message of what we're dealing with here is is essentially a cult, and I think it even goes deeper than that. Is that we really do have uh, demonic adversaries in this movement that's going on right now, and um, I, I'm. So blessed to have Patrick and, you know, hear from him. So, Patrick, are you there? Great. Uh, thank you for taking the time uh, to do this, Bryce. This is really good. I, um, just as, by way of introduction, I've been studying modern globalization for over 45 years now. And I was an eyewitness to many of the things that happened back in the early 1970s, um, which I believe is where modern globalization really started. Um, I authored, uh, uh, co-authored two books back then uh, on an elitist organization known as the Trilateral Commission, by the way, which is kind of the fountainhead of modern globalization. And they promised that they would create a new international economic order. That's what they said they were going to do. And even though we didn't quite understand what they meant uh, by the word new, we know now. And yeah. uh, today we recognize that as being technocracy. And Historic technocracy is a topic now that's starting to really pick up some steam. I've been talking about it for like 13 years now, trying to get people to pay attention to it. And it's starting to get some traction, but technocracy was a movement started in the 1930s that, um, that set about to create a brand new economic system that would replace capitalism and free enterprise from scratch. Never been done in the history of the world. Um, free market economics was out, price-based economics was out, uh, capitalism was out, they thought that was dead. And so these engineers and scientists happened to be at Columbia University at the time, which is the seat of progressivism in America at the time. And uh, not much good ever came out of Columbia from that era, I have to say, but these scientists and engineers thought they were more brilliant than anybody else in the world and they could do this, they could, they could handle this. So the system they created was a resource-based economic system and it's called, they call it technocracy. They also call it the science of social engineering, which uh, in light of the B.F. Skinners of the world that were operating back then, it's kind of a scary thing. 
the science of social engineering. Well, social engineering has never been a science. It's a, it's a, it's a dark occultic practice to manipulate people basically. But that's what they set out to do. It kind of died out during the, the 50s and 60s, but it got resurrected in the early 1970s as a so-called new international economic order or the new world order as it was called. And very few people understood it then. I didn't, didn't understand it really until I discovered historic technoc technocracy in, um, well, it was back before 2007. And I've been writing and speaking about it ever since. Um, so today, we see the, um, the, the, the grandchildren, if you will, of the original movement from the 1970s uh, as things like sustainable development with the United Nations. It's a resource-based economic system. Agenda 21, a resource-based economic system. The Green New Deal in our country, smart growth. There's lots of natural capitalism. There's several synonyms for, the, for this beast but it's all the same thing. It's resource-based economic system. Uh, the United Nations says very boldly that, uh, that they want to kill capitalism and free enterprise and replace it with sustainable development. It's nothing more than warmed over technocracy from the 1930s. But when they talk about a resource-based economic system, this is where it gets very dicey. Most people would think, oh, we're talking inputs like the factories and you know, we gotta have lumber, you gotta have oil or whatever, you gotta have something to make something in the factories. And then you think, well, there's output from the factories and they're gonna you know, ship them around the world or wherever and help people out. But here's the rub. To these people, to these technocrats that are driving this new resource-based economic system, you and I are considered resources <laughs> directly. So we are resources as well, not just the cattle in the field, the sheep in the field and the pasture and whatever. We are the resources now just as much as all of these other things in the world, whether it be the cattle or the or the you know, two-toed, uh, two, uh, you know, two-toed uh, frog or something in the field. We're just resources to these people. <clears throat> so, to test this theory, I uh, said so initially I'd call it a theory. It's not a theory anymore. It's it's pretty well, you know, set in stone. Well, they uh, they write about this. It's you know, it's uh, all laid out. I mean, all of these plans and you know, all of their writing. So the stuff that you're talking about many years ago were more obscure theories that people were talking about and floating out there. But you know, it, it was labeled all the time as conspiracy stuff, and oh, that's not really what you know what they're talking about. But now they're coming out and saying, hey, we are going to be doing this. And then you're seeing, you know, all of this stuff being funneled in that direction now at an alarming rate. I know. I, I think uh, Professor Anthony Sutton and myself, we co-authored the book's trials over Washington. I think we were probably one of the original people <clears throat> that were called conspiracy theorists. That's, that was kind of yeah. when it really, we popularized it. We, we gave them that opportunity well, to popularize. Yeah, well, as we so. as we talk about it a lot on this show, and you know, we have Dr. Keith on, <laughs> and we have others who have well, been in the intelligence services. They invented those terms to you know uh, discredit, so that anything and and part of the reason that they can get away with that is the stuff that you're talking about is 
a little bit mind bending. You know, it's it's not for the the low IQ of us. You know, so that's why I have to have uh, coffee here and I have to concentrate. I went to public school. You know, so um, so for then an authority like the government to just say, okay, oh, you know, those conspiracy theorists. It it allows the people who you know aren't really able to to dive in and understand most of this stuff to just easily dismiss it. Oh yeah, yeah. that's wild. They would never do that to us. You know, uh, people have their uh, our best interests at heart. Why would the experts do anything wrong to us? You know, that kind of thing is what they do. It certainly is. It certainly is. Well, uh, in any case, I say to people, you know, today today's conspiracy theories are tomorrow's headlines at this point. <laughs> so yeah. It's not a flip flop here. Yeah, the the difference in the say, truth or a, I said see, the difference. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Has, there has been a conspiracy here, a huge conspiracy, but it's not us doing the conspiring. It was this other group of people that were doing the conspiring to change all of history and and all of our future as well. They're creating a future that we did not vote on. They did not ask us if we wanted to participate in it. They're simply doing it because they think they have some type of moral high ground or some kind of a mandate to change humanity into their own image. And um, so we track this. And part of what I'm bringing to the, to the, you know, the crimes against humanity uh, task force is this has been in the planning stage for a very long time. This didn't just happen with COVID. COVID shows up and everybody's shocked. Like, how could this happen? And it didn't just happen. It, it, there was a run-up to it that was uh, at least 25, 30 years old. And we just missed it. People just missed it. They, uh, the, the people on the other side that brought this to us, they've been crowing about this ever since the early 1970s. Nobody really paid attention. Oh, it's just those crazy, you know, whatever, futuristic thinking people in white coats and universities, you know, they're just full of it. And nobody really paid attention. Oh, that'll never happen. That can't happen in this kind of a world. That was a big mistake. If we'd paid attention to them back then, I don't think we would be where we are today. But let me take you back just briefly to 1992 in particular. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and, and by the way, I, as I introduce my topic, I usually talk about three things. We're, we're not going to be able to do it here today. But I talk about an, a brief introduction to technocracy. We kind of did that. A brief introduction to transhumanism. We're not going to do that necessarily. But then I also bring in the, the concept of scientism, which is very important to this whole thing. This is the philosophical glue that binds these people together. And I say technocracy and transhumanism are like Siamese twins joined at the hip. De define, define transhumanism, though, because that has been something that's bubbling up a little bit, and I think people don't don't understand that. So actually, it would be great if you give a quick little description. Sure. Well, <clears throat> let me let me give you the founders uh, of modern uh, founder of modern transhumanism. In any case, uh, his name is Max Moore. He's been around for quite a while now, but um, he kind of uh, set the tone and set all the philosophical base for transhumanism in today's world. And here's what he wrote back in the early 90s. He said, transhumanism promotes an interdisciplinary approach to understanding and evaluating the opportunities for enhancing the human condition and the human organism opened up by the advancement of technology. Uh, attention is given to both present technologies like genetic engineering and information technology and anticipated future ones such as 
molecular nanotechnology and artificial intelligence. So, you know, that's one definition. The World Economic Forum also throws out a definition, interestingly, because they're big, they're into this big time. Uh, the World Economic Forum wrote on their blog, the central premise of transhumanism then is that biological evolution will be eventually will eventually be taken over by advances in genetic, wearable, and implantable technologies that artificially expedite the evolutionary process. So one part of transhumanism is very important, and this is also seen in technocracy as well, is that these, uh, these, th this group believes that they can become the intelligent designers of the future. Yeah. And so they think that they have some right to just go ahead and start redesigning things in the world, like, like the animals and the seeds and the fish and the insects and whatever. And now they're working on humans. Well, this is obviously a very anti, you know, anti-biblical view of things that not only denies the original intelligent design that Christians would believe in and some other religions as well, that there was an intelligent designer. Um, these people deny that, and yet they say, well, evolution has been a real thing, but now we're going to take over. Now that we have the toolkit, we can take over intelligent design from here on out. <laughs> and this is where the, the real danger comes in. This, this, this is where you get the idea that somebody wants to meddle with humanity, and it isn't for any good reason or any good purpose that they're, that they're intending to do this. So that's kind of a brief look at, at transhumanism, but the philosophy that underlies it is scientism. Scientism has been lost to today's generation because uh, nobody paid attention for 20, 30 years and you know they don't have any, never read any books about it or anything. But back in the last century, scientism was a huge topic for people like C.S. Lewis, for instance, and F.A. Hayek. Yeah. There has been a number of, of scholarly works done and it's established in literature now what scientism was as a philosophy. Basically, it replaces God with science. The worship of science, uh, elevating science to a position of godhood where it requires a priesthood to administer to the people, the ignorant masses and so on. Um, and I'm not gonna get into it any more detail because there's such a rich, rich um, base of information on scientism. You just go look, anybody can just go look it up real quickly on the internet, they'll find stuff or go down to a used bookstore and buy, uh, uh, buy the, uh, what the, the book uh, Magician's Twin, for instance, by C.S. Lewis. You, you get an earful really quickly what it's all about. But um, ask, the key, go ahead. Can I ask Patrick, is that magician's nephew because I looked up the book and I found magician's nephew, but not magician's <laughs> twin. So it's, I couldn't it find it. It is a magician's it. twin. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't um, find yeah. it on the internet. Couldn't find okay. it. Okay. It, it may, you may have to go to a used bookstore or a place like abesbooks.com or interesting something to find it. Interesting because now it's magician's nephew. Very interesting. <laughs> and I listened to it. I got it. I listened to it. It was creepy. Okay, thanks. Oh, Let's, yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. looking it up now. It was creepy. <laughs> but, but but we're thinking about rewriting literature, and that's where you know my talks in the in the yeah. in the whole yeah. Task so course. yeah, for for the audience, it's the mag magician's twin, and it's C.S. Lewis on science, scientism, and society and society. Great. 
Right. Thank you. Right. Yes. Uh, and he's not the only one. I just bring him up because a lot of people know who he is already. Well, we, we love we love C.S. Lewis, so that's okay. a that's a good one to bring up on our show. <clears throat> okay, well, that's good. So anyway, that's uh, we'll move beyond that just for now. And I want to I want to focus on what happened in 1992 because this is where this is where what we're dealing with today really started in earnest. And in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro, there was a huge United Nations conference. It was called the First Earth Summit, among other things. But it was where the Agenda 21 doctrine was hatched. The Sustainable Development Doctrine was hatched in 1992 in this United Nations conference. Agenda 21 is not a conspiracy theory. They produced a 40-chapter book. It was like, I think, 190, 200 pages, something like that. It was, it was a very formidable book. And it's still available on the internet. You can get it on Amazon and anywhere else. They can special order it. It's out there, Jenna 21. But uh, yeah. there were tens of thousands of people came from all over the world to Rio to you know, hammer out the whole thing about, okay, what's the future gonna be? Agenda 21 specified the agenda for the 21st century, and now we're in the 21st century. So we should pay attention to what, with the agenda for the 21st century, how's that working out? Well, it's working out pretty good for them. But there was also a parallel convention that took place at the Agenda 21 conference, and that was had to do with biodiversity, and it was called the Biodiversity Convention. Um, and there was a lot of literature uh, put out on that as well, in addition to the Agenda 21 book. The Biodiversity Convention had more to do with how are we going to apply Agenda 21 sustainable development? What will it mean for the average Joe on the street? What will be sustainable? What won't be sustainable? You know, they threw out things like cattle because of too much flatulence and they threw out golf courses, too much water, uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, horses, other types of animals. No, 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 I can't do that. Um, <clears throat> it was it was a very disturbing book that they put out with the, the Biodiversity Convention. But there were detractors back in those days in 1992 who went to the meeting in good faith, thinking that they were gonna solve some uh, development issues globally that would uh, help right the world again. And they came away very disillusioned because you know, and they, they weren't people like would really identify with you and I perhaps right now, they were more of the old line environmental type, probably very liberal otherwise, socially. But they blew the whistle on what happened at the Agenda 21 slash Biodiversity Convention. And they wrote a book in 1994 called The Earth Brokers. And of course, the idea is you're brokering the earth is what you're doing, folks. And so um, they they wrote, um, and, and by the way, 100, 183 nations of the world signed the treaty, the Agenda 21 treaty. So it was set in stone. You see sustainable development in every nation on earth today. It's all they want to talk about. Sustainable this, sustainable that, smart growth, smart cities. Uh, environmental impact studies, et cetera, et cetera, it's everywhere in the world today. But here's what these two guys wrote, they, and they were scholarly types. They wrote, number one, about Agenda 21. They said, we argue that, uh, that UNSAID, which is United Nations Conference on Economic Development, that's the official UN name. We argue that UNSAID has boosted precisely the type of industrial development that is destructive for the environment uh, the planet and its inhabitants. 
We see how as a result of unsaid, the rich will get richer, the poor poorer, while more and more of the planet is destroyed in the process. They wow, hit they it spot it. on. Spot yeah. on. It's like, whoa, this is exactly what's happened in the last, yeah, ever since 1992. So they then went on to write about the Biodiversity Convention. This is, this is where we really, really see what happened in 1992. First, they said this, the convention implicitly equates the diversity of life, that is animals and plants, to the diversity of genetic codes. They're just laying it out here. By doing so, diversity becomes something modern science can manipulate. Oh. It promotes biotechnology as being essential for the conservation and sustainable use of biodiversity. Well, to most people, biodiversity usually means, you know, this is what is they're led to believe as well. It's um, it's the number of species in the forest, you know, like the rainforest. Right. You got 25,000 right. species last year, and now you only have 20,000. Oh my gosh, we lost biodiversity. That's what most people think. But according to the Biodiversity Convention, that is not what they said. They said it's all about genetic codes and manipulating genetic codes. Well, this should be a wake-up call for people today to see what they said next. And this, this, this is what they wrote next. The main stake, this is a direct quote, the main stake raised by the Biodiversity Convention, and I have to pause here and say, it wasn't a minor stake. It wasn't just a track. It wasn't just a, an issue that somebody raised. They, de they described it as the main stake of the Biodiversity Convention, and I'll continue, is the issue of ownership and control over biological diversity, which we just defined. Right. The major concern was protecting the pharmaceutical and emerging biotechnology industries, close quote. You get the point really quick here. What happened in 1992? This was where the cocoon was wrapped around the biotech industries just emerging at that point. But they saw the handwriting on the wall. They knew where they were going. They knew where they wanted to go because their philosophy had already been codified, you know, set in stone. They knew where they wanted to go. They saw the end game and they used the biodiversity convention to put a, a cocoon of protection around them so that they couldn't later be penetrated. This was the period of time, for instance, where patents were now popularized if you made a genetic modification to any living thing, you could patent it and you could secure intellectual property rights for that. And wow. people say, might say, well, that's crazy. I, I never heard of that. Well, listen, when Monsanto modified his first crop seed, I'm not sure what the first one was, but say canola. In Canada, they call it rapeseed. Canola is a big crop. Yeah. Um, canola is the marketing name for rapeseed because rapeseed didn't sound very good. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't sound good. You're right. So when they when they genetically modified it to make it resistant to Roundup, which was the chemical they sold to kill all the weeds, um, they patented the seed and then they licensed the seed to the farmers. The farmers had to pay a fee because it's intellectual property. If you want to use our product Roundup, you have to use our seed because when you spray it on our plants, uh, they won't die. Only the weeds will die. Well, that was only good for anyway for about 10 years because now the weeds are doing just fine. They figured out a way around it. But um, 
we, we, we see this mentality of manipulating genetic codes all over the world, not only in seeds, an example of a Monsanto, but also in animals and insects and fish. Uh, anything that has genetic code in it uh, is, is up for grabs on modification. Having said that, um, the shocking quote from the chief medical officer of Moderna, his name is Tal Zaks. Never met the man. I don't think I really want to meet him, but yeah, maybe if I ran into him at a dinner party, I'd go up and give him a big kiss or something on the cheek. Who knows? Um, but I probably wouldn't. Uh, but anyway, here's what his attitude was. This was on their website. It's since been removed, but I have a screenshot of it from when it was up on the website. This is what he writes. Quote, we are actually hacking the software of life. We think about it as an operating system. So if you could actually change that, if you could introduce a line of code or a line, uh, a line of code or change a line of code, it turns out it has profound implications for everything. Oh, really? Yeah, it does. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, baby. We could really make some changes to the human race if we could just change a few lines of code because... So you're just like a computer after all, and we've already discovered that with seeds and fish and animals and blah, blah, blah. Now it's the final frontier that they're facing, and that's humanity itself. And this is where we are today, and this is why messenger RNA has been such a huge, huge issue with companies like Moderna. They're changing the software of life. We didn't bargain for this. We didn't ask for it. We didn't permit it. We, you know, anybody that gets wind of this, by the way, is instantly livid when they yeah, see it's what happens. It's terrifying. It's it's truly terrifying. These people, the the, um, I, I'm impressed with the level of arrogance. These the people that we're talking about, and it's not just this this field, but you know, from high finance to all these others. There's this level of arrogance that we are the masters of the universe. And I do believe it is because they're godless, and so they've elevated themselves, you know, into gods in their minds. And yeah, we're going, we're going to fix these things. We're going to straighten things out. We're going to make this all work, and then the rest of you can eat bugs and you know serve, uh, you know, as as our slaves. It's it's amazing. It's well, it's really interesting. What's really interesting about everything Patrick's just said, um, though I had his books on my shelf. And I had, um, and I have another one here that, and, and I knew of him and I get his newsletter in the last few years, I haven't had time to read it. So when he said that, um, everything he said about 1992 and 1904, I'm just pulling the papers off my computer as fast as I can, because my, my contribution is the, my, the knowledge and realization that they can't introduce a line of code and make what they want because only 3% of our mRNA, and we found this out when the, gen, the whole human genome was sequenced and these animal genomes were sequenced, what we learned is only 3% of our messenger RNA is translated into protein that runs this whole beautiful body we have and that 
everything is orchestrated and, and carefully carried out by the conductor and every player in the immune system, in, the, in God's system, so that all of the rest of that messenger RNA is regulatory. On-off switches, so we develop in utero different switches, different times, and, and at the heart, you know, at the time all of this was happening in 1992, the experimentation was on gays, IV drug users, and um, prostitutes. And it was, it was with respect to HIV causing AIDS and crippling the immune system. And what we had done in the lab, which was actually literally, Patrick, 39 years ago today, we laugh about it because it was D-Day, June 6th. Um, wow. It was the first day I started working for Frank Rossetti, who's really the genius that, that made all the major biological discoveries of how um, you know, the stem cells work. Um, and, and how they can't hack our code. So the realization is they can't introduce a line of code if we don't buy their products, if we don't, if we don't buy their vaccines for the injection of the, of the entity, or if we don't ingest GMO and poison ourselves with with other of the environmental poisons. So if we repent and walk away, then they they never win and God wins, which is what I announced last September when we talked was going to be the title of our last book. I hope it's our last book cuz I don't like to write books. So, now, <laughs> and so that's so that as we're going here, my I could hardly sit in the chair the first time I heard Patrick talk. I'm like, that's it. That's what I was missing. You know, just exactly the 92, the years and what we'll go on to show later. But, you know, I'm, I'm still taking notes now because what happened in the government to allow that to happen that we talk about in the movie Plandemic? Well, what happened in the government was it, um, in a, on or about 1980 or just 1981, um, President Ronald Reagan signed the Bayh-Dole Act. And that, that allowed um, investigators in, com- in, in the government who anyone in companies in places that got federal grants to develop drugs. And I was developing drugs and immune therapies from plants at the National Cancer Institute since 1980. So now we can patent our discoveries. And therefore, you can't patent something natural and you start to see the game with HIV and you start to see the money game. And that's when they started rolling in um, changes in the literature. So then President Ronald Reagan, who many think of right here in, in in, in his neighborhood here in Simi Valley, California, that he was really this great president, conservative Republican president. But he did three things. The Bayh-Dole Act, the November 14, 1986 National Vaccine Injury Compensation Act, saying vaccines were, they they were seeing the injuries with the kids with the DTP shots. So it became, hey, we can't protect you from all these bad things if if you don't um, give us liability free. And then President Ronald Reagan said, let's just make them safer. And that's when they uttered, they're unavoidably unsafe. So right now where we are in this world, you can't mandate and, and 
and and take susceptible populations and hurt them. And then he did one other thing of after the 1986 removing the liability, and that is, and this is what Dr. Rossetti in his book Ending Plague, um, um, that which was just published in August of last year, um, which he said was the worst thing he ever did because he removed the retirement age for the people at the upper echelons of NIH, including Tony Fauci, or he would have been gone in 2009 and when his H1N, well, whichever one was his pandemic of 2009, swine flu, bird flu, where everybody got real sick, he still didn't win. He still didn't kill everybody. They, they hadn't broken the code and they can't do it because we're not our DNA. We're our chromosomes. And this is where all of my talks and all of our work and all of the science. So they went from the literally started rewriting the literature to drive the evolution theory is we evolved from monkeys. And even though we're 97% similar in our DNA, we're not at all similar in our chromosome or the regulation of those chromosomes. And that's why that it will, as we're going, but this is what I couldn't sit in my chair because we are not the diversity of our genetic codes. Those are the same four letters, you know, A, T, C, and G in all plants and all animals, dust, but God breathed life into humans and gave us the spirit and, and the free, Amen. the free will. And so that's where I, you know, I, I, I really dig into that aspect of it because like Patrick, I'm a Christian, but just as a, as, as from the United States of America, we appreciate we're one nation under God, mm-hmm. you know, with liberty and justice for all the pursuit of happiness is pursuing your God given purpose. And nobody should be, you know, the more susceptible in our diverse cultures and lands and environments of sun and, and toxic elements. Nobody should be um, a sacrificial lamb yeah. so that they can, for the greater good, if you will. Well, and, and what these people are doing is, you know, they are, um, and I think, uh, Patrick, you made reference to this, and I say it all the time, but they're, they're, uh, they're destroying things so that they can recreate, recreate it in their own image. And uh, and that's what we're seeing. But anyway, so um, thank you for that because I yeah, just, that was, I keep forgetting to say yeah. that I actually I actually wrote it all down now again because I'll reorder my slides so they make more sense to the rest of the world because I'm getting it slowly through your brilliance as yeah, well. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. That that's really this this has been such an exciting adventure for for me and I know it has for you and for Reiner too. That we're discovering new things because of each other, and as we, the more we interact, the more we discover. But here's here's the deal about crimes against humanity, and we really need to bring this out. We want to document beyond a shadow of a doubt that crimes against humanity are being committed right now, and for the, that's there's lots of different angles to it. I realize, but this is a very very complex crime. This is like the Bernie Madoff of the medical world, right? It's not a it, you just don't walk in and say, oh, I see the smoking gun, arrest that guy. It's not that easy. We have a master historical thing going on here that has to we in order to have a successful prosecution, if it's ever going to happen down the road, and it may not, I realize there's lots of Teflon going around these days, but we have to demonstrate certain things. Number one is the condition, the environments out of which the crime was committed, because we look for patterns. We look for we look for hard evidence like like this book. For instance, these authors wrote about um, the earth brokers. They wrote about what happened with genetic codes, et cetera. 
then we have to say, well, okay, that's one book. We go out and we broaden our search. Was there other mentions in literature anywhere on this very same topic? And the answer I found, yes, absolutely so. So once, once, we, once we can lay out the pattern, the environment, the seedbed of the crime, Judy comes along because she was an eyewitness as I was an eyewitness to these things. Judy comes along and says, okay, this is what they actually did as a result of saying they were going to do it. And a conspiracy, by the way, uh, until any action has been taken on a conspiracy, it's not really a crime. You know, you and I could sit and ha have a discussion. We could talk about some really crazy things that if we ever went and did it, it would be criminal. But if we never lift a finger to do it, if we never, you know, do that internet search looking for triggers or bombs or wires or something, you know, we we never could be, cons you know, there's no conspiracy. But when we go to do something to, to actually make it make the crime happen, then you've crossed the line and you're prosecutable. So we have to have not only the groundwork laid and the pattern laid for how it could have happened, how could the environment exist that it would happen? And then we need to have the smoking gun. What did they do? Well, they started out by rewriting literature. That's a common tactic. History, we've been talking in education about for years about how they're rewriting history and the history books are changing. So the people don't know what happened last century even. So. This has been happening under our noses in the medical community and the research community for all these years, and nobody's really made a fuss about it till Judy comes along. Well, maybe a few, but I, you know, you get the point. Yeah. But now we need to say, okay, they had the opportunity, they had the pattern, they had the protection, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this is what they actually did. Have their crimes been committed as a result of that? As we build our case, as Judy builds her case, as um, uh, as Ryder comes in and builds his case from a legal point of view, by the time we're done with this, we've got this thing wrapped up in a little package where it's very compelling. And I'm not saying I'm not a judge, jury, or executioner either. I'm just saying our package is highly, highly convincing that there has definitely been crimes against humanity committed and they are ongoing this very day. They have not stopped. It continues today. And this is, of course, this is the most dangerous conclusion. Once you see what has happened and you see the machine is still steam, like a, like a steamroller kind of going downhill on a, you know, the, the hot asphalt, man, it's rolling it out and you see the machine is still moving and is still doing things and people are still dying and more stuff is coming down the pipeline that's going to be added on top of all this stuff. And by the way, even though there has been some evidence and studies done on so-called reverse transcription of messenger RNA, which somehow gets back into your genetic structure, in India, the one major company in India has already produced a DNA-based vaccine that's injected under your skin. It's not here. It's not, they're not even applying for it here. But it's, you know, you can see that this is in the minds of these crazy scientists, these, these technocrat transhuman scientists. This is what they're, they're intending to do is to change the human condition. And the World Economic Forum, by the way, has been very blunt on this, that they're not only gonna change the 
you fit the structure of the world through the Great Reset, the economic structure that we want to make it all green, you're going to make it sustainable, you're going to have this resource-based economic system for society to operate within. But they also boldly say that in order, once we do this, once we reset the world, we also have to have humanity 2.0 to inhabit that world. Because why would you put old people into a new world? Kind of reminds you of the story of the of the you know wine going into old you know old skins. Yeah. New wine doesn't go into old skins. <laughs> so it's like okay, this is their vision. This is the World Economics Forum's vision for the world. Humanity 2.0, which means significant changes to our structure, to our DNA, to our you know everything about us. Will they succeed? Uh, you know, well, God came down and stopped the Tower of Babel <laughs> in the yeah. <laughs> back of the day. Could he do that again? Yes, he could. Well, and it's a, it's he? all a similar that's, spirit. That's yeah, right. it's all a similar spirit. So that's that's what we're we're facing yes. here. And and so what they're doing is they're they're modifying they're modifying the world around us. And then they're saying, so in order for our, the, the people to live in this world that we're modifying, we must modify the people to fit into it. And so that, that is a, a terrifying thing. The most terrifying thing for me out of all of this, speaking of this machine, this steamroller that's continuing on, they have set up conditions, and we're seeing this looming. Um, I think we're going to go through some incredibly uh, tough times uh, over the next year or so here food shortages, the, you know, the things that we kind of see on the horizon from our perspective. Um, and they are going to sell us on all the things that they're doing as the solution to the crises that we're in. Um, and, and that's the game I think that they're going to play here is, you know, like, like, uh, you know, people right now, uh, laughing at the idea that, you know, Bill Gates and others want us to give up meat and eat bugs and, you know, some of these things that they're starting to talk about. Well, if they destroy our, you know, um, supply chains and then we do have food shortages and all that stuff, then, you know, they come to us with their bugs. Oh, look, guys, we have a solution for you. You know, and, and I think they're looking to do that with a bunch of different things. Again, it's that we're going to destroy it, we'll rebuild it in our own image, and then we'll, we'll sell it to you guys. Well, and, and I actually show in what I talk about, I show how they've done that all along. Yeah. And the, the shot, so even things like Paxlovid, now their drug works you know with for the disease they created yeah or their vaccine and those are the only solutions you're allowed and by the time you get to get the plants you no longer have clean amino acids because the food's poison and then you have no choice but nobody needed a smartphone until they invented it for us correct so it's interesting thank you patrick All right, keep going, Patrick. Yeah, we're listening. We're we're having more of a discussion. So, <laughs> uh oh, we lost your audio. Yeah, there we go. This we this go. is basically this is basically the the nutshell of what I probably want to say today on this program. Um, and, and the key takeaway is the the column of actors that are bringing this to us are not pol- politicians. Categorically right. not. They are not communist either. They're right. not fascists. They're technocrats and they're transhumans. And there's a blending of the two. We can see that very clearly now. The technocrat 
column of actors are completely unhinged from the political system. They stand behind it. They use a political yeah. system to do what they want to do. But the politicians of the world are like the puppets, if you will, that are yeah, dancing working for them. their strings. You saw this when you saw uh, Fauci standing behind President uh, Trump with his arms folded and looking down his little nose, you know, and like smug look on his face. Yep. Never says a word. He doesn't have to, but he's, you know, he's the one that's calling the shots and President Trump yeah. is belting it out. And then uh, calling the shots, that's not a pun. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> he did call yeah, he the did. shots, I guess. That works. Then that's that's President good. President Biden comes in. What happens with President Biden? Well, lo and behold, it's the same at that he found standing behind President Biden with his arms folded and yeah. looking down his nose again in the same way, calling the shots. And, and it was it's the not same the Anthony. And, and it was and the same this, Anthony Fauci to Ronald Reagan. Right. And there's a reason for this. Mm -hmm. Going back to the original historical technocracy documents from the 30s and the 40s, they specifically, specifically wrote that they wanted to take the layer of government out of society altogether. And they wanted to merely appoint technocrats to positions in society to run the economic system. Their belief was, if you can believe this egotistical position, their belief was their science is so good and their algorithms are so accurate. And who can argue with science? What do you need to discuss? What's to talk about? You know, you don't need Congress. You don't need parliaments. So they reckon they wanted to get rid of all the political structure in the region that they were looking at back then. And now it's on a global basis. There is this, this war going on between the technocrat movement and the political systems of the world. And what most politicians do not understand is that if, as, and when these technocrats are successful at doing what they're intending to do, we're talking about that on this program, if they get the upper hand, the politicians, all of them are going to get thrown under the bus. They will be the first ones to get thrown under the bus because their jobs will be obsolete. The proof of that, by the way, I wish I had the book on my hand. It's on my bookshelf. I won't get it. But there was a book written in 1932 as, as uh, FDR was just being elected. And it was written by a technocrat. And in the book, it appealed to FDR as he went into the presidency in what, January of 33, to declare himself dictator for the purposes of merely implementing technocracy. And, and that meant he would be out of a job. So obviously he didn't take him up on it. I mean, he was too, too much of a politician. What was but the name of the book? saw this antipathy and it's still there. What was the name of the book? Oh boy, I can't remember. I'll have to get it to you. Uh, okay, no, no worries. I, yeah. uh, I just I find but it when interesting. When Reiner because comes, when Reiner comes on, I'll go get the book. I won't be in the. Okay. I'll have to leave my chair. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, I, I, I just find it fascinating because yeah. so much of what we're learning is there is nothing new under the sun, right? Yeah. You know, the yeah. idea that that. Um, mm -hmm. 
that you know people saw these things. I mean, what we're what we're essentially talking about is, I mean, this is like science fiction level stuff. Well, mm-hmm. it's not. It was just conceived in those science fiction books. Many of the things that we're talking about, you know, it's pe- people had the uh, these ideas. Oh, okay, we can we can do this yeah. stuff, and then you I'll, know, and then over time they they are implementing it. Right. Yeah. I'll bring up a, just a new thought since we're kind of in a conversational mode here. Mm-hmm. Technology can be really good if it's used to serve mankind. You know, yeah, I, I appreciate all kinds of technology. If you need a heart transplant, it's really no, nice to know you can go and get one. But, but a lot of technology is very deceptive, and it can be used for very evil purposes as well. And it can be used to deceive. And many of these people are deceived into thinking their technology is way more than what it really is, right? So it has this, this kind of built-in... Uh, tendency to sell futures on itself. You know, well, we're going to do this. Well, we can do this. If we get this done, we right. can do this. And we can do great things. I would just remind listeners that if you go back and review very carefully, if you review the Tower of Babel story in the book of Genesis, you will discover that there was a technology that was introduced to them that that led them to actually build the tower, thinking, of course, it was way overinflated, thinking they could build it all the way into heaven, that there's no limits to what they can build. And you know what that technology was? Square bricks and tar. They never built with tar before. They built with, with mortar and mud and rocks and stuff like that. You couldn't build anything over one story. Hmm. When the discovery of tar as being a building material, which is slightly flexible as well, if the wind blows, it you know it doesn't fall over. Using tar and cut bricks, why you could build a building 20, 30, 40, 50 stories high. And all of a sudden, when that was demonstrated to those people back then, they said, holy mackerel, this changes everything. We know up there in the sky, there's something we want to get our hands on. So let's build this tower. We can build it all the way into heaven, which of course they couldn't. They overinflated their discovery. But I will say that the God of this world used technology in a deceptive way for evil purposes to trick those people into doing something they would not have otherwise done at all. Just an observation. Mm. Yeah, well, it, it yeah, and it's the same spirit that's going on today. Um, and and going back to your um, talking about you know modifying the you know our, our code and all of that, um, I, I think about because our minds are so much smaller than God's, right? You know, uh, our our finite minds cannot contain the infinite. The arrogance of them believing that they can manipulate some of our code. And not have uh, devastating consequences from that is wild. You know, you t- you, uh, you you pluck pluck the little threads of of our software, and uh, you know you're going to have some bugs. Well, and isn't and isn't cloning and what we're doing? Um, you know, isn't that just building supposedly a better human? You know, so we're not building a building and all of a sudden we're realizing right now, and this is at the heart of the evidence I um, produce, what, what I'm saying the crime is, is premeditated murder. You've been experimenting since HIV AIDS, since 1980 in my world, 
because that's when I walked into it, June 10th, 1980. Um, um, and they've been experimenting since that time. Um, and, and they, and now they've injured a lot of people and they've, they've got the results of the study. They see what they can't do, but they also, um, they also have so manipulated and caused, um, a lot of good people to be deceived as Patrick was just saying. So we're now deceived and we're all thinking somehow that myocarditis that caused your friend to have a heart attack at a very young age and he's a fitness instructor as i recall a fi- uh, fireman one of my correct. one of my jujitsu students incredibly healthy guy um you know nothing wrong with his heart ever before right. nothing but now the answer now is we've got the solution um and they've been they've been deceived and my answer now is you have to turn 180 degrees and repent so that's at the heart of what I show. And that's why I was practically jumping out of my chair. I, I don't know if it was happy with the first time I heard Patrick back in Florida a month or so ago. But it's like, oh, that was what's missing. Because everybody asked me, what's the purpose, Judy? You know, what's what's the purpose? And, and we can get there. And so it yeah. might be fun to hear Reiner, because now Reiner talks all about a technology um, that called polymerase chain reaction, which now most Americans and people worldwide think PCR polymerase chain reaction has something to do with a Q-tip up your nose. And what I usually say is that's rape. Um, so, <laughs> um, the technology is intended to amplify a very small piece of, of DNA of, of genetic information, DNA or RNA and amplify a very small piece millions of times so that you can see it. And, and so originally, genetically, it was to see inborn errors of genetic metabolism. And so now what we're being told is these are all genetic diseases. And all of my work and all of my life and what changed everything for HIV is it's not genetic. It's epigenetic. It's on top of the genes. It's that orchestration, and by God, the, the conduct. <laughs> um, the intelligent design conducting the orchestra to to keep the us well because all everything about God is so that in Genesis again as is uh, Patrick's talking about Genesis God saw it all it was completed each according to its kind everything for food and it was good and everything was good unless we Go against God and live against God, and, and the Bible is the authority. God is the authority, and and God is, the 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 Word is God, and we speak the truth in love. And so everything we're doing right now, or or they're trying to do, is get us to hate each other and not to talk to each other. And that's yeah. why we were so delighted to hit this tour. It's like, oh man, well, what, yeah. where were you twenty years ago? Well, Patrick? what you're de- what you're describing, and this is what gives me great help. And I always try to, um, you know, because we're talking about difficult things that are that are really, I mean. Uh, rough to think about, you know, things are happening, you know, that, that, uh, are, are, you know, being perpetrated against us that we don't have much control over. God does. Right. And these people will, will be judged for, for what they're doing. But what we have here and what you described is community, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing in that, that feeling that you had of excitement is yeah. the genuine thing of, okay, there's this missing piece. There's this other person that I can, you know, positively collaborate with to, you know, put this message out there to, you know, 
reveal the evil that's going on here. And that is the single greatest thing that's happening right now across the board in our communities is that people are coming together. And and that's how we're all going to be strong at the end of the day in resisting this tyranny and everything that they're they're putting on us. So, um, uh, Patrick, I know we're uh, we're going to be running here into part two in a moment, and we're going to get Reiner on. But uh, anything um, that you want to conclude with before we, you know, kind of bring on to our our next phase of this? Yeah, I, I probably want to just throw in one extra aspect of this is, and that that's the whole the whole topic of propaganda because we're awash in propaganda. It's very it's hard amazing. to figure out. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very hard to figure out what's real and what's not real when you listen to anybody. And there's just as much propaganda on the right as there is on the left right now, unfortunately. Yep, true. It's very, very disturbing. <clears throat> but people, uh, people have the ability to think critically, and they should about all of these things. And there's other stuff coming at us right now that is part of this great reset, part of this great deception. It goes far beyond just what we're dealing with here in the medical community. This is serious enough and it's disturbing enough in itself. But I wanted—I would wanna give a special warning to what's happening right now with this new topic for most people called the metaverse. Mm, the yeah. metaverse is a, a make-believe virtual world that will model after the real world to convince people that uh, that reality can exist either in the metaverse or outside of the metaverse. And this promises to completely rewrite um, the brain circuitry, especially of young people who, who get into this environment because propaganda can be stuffed into their little brains, you know, bowls full of mush uh, to, to rewire their brains to think differently about certain things. One of the reasons I bring this up, and I'm, I'm just, I'm totally speculating now. I am not a scientist. I am not an, you know, an engineer even, but I'm certainly not a doctor or anything like that. But I know lots of them and I've talked to lots of them. One thing that concerns me at this point is all of the damage that's happening in the neurological area of the mind. And I, I have, a good friend of mine is a retired neurosurgeon, board certified neurosurgeon. That's his specialty. And he's, we've talked about this quite a bit. What's happening today with these injections that are being put out there is making significant changes to the neurological structure of the brain. If those things are happening, symptoms are happening in the brain that never really kind of happened before, but now they are. And so, you know, I see this kind of as a trend, as part of the whole package. Now there's other issues, there's heart inflammation. That's a big issue and that's there, but the neurological side is as well. The metaverse messes with your mind. It messes with your perception of reality. And I'm not sure that we're looking at a potential catastrophe in the making here with the metaverse because it's going to appeal to young people like never before. Anybody that's ever played a first-person first shooter game or whatever is going to love the metaverse. Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook was, is so impressed with the whole technology that he renamed his company Meta 
for metaverse. Yeah. The World Economic Forum now all of a sudden is touting the metaverse as being the future of the world. And that you will, you know, you'll love your reality in the metaverse more than you love your reality in real life. <laughs> I yeah. explained it. Don't ever let your kids go near the metaverse. There's something huge going on here. We don't know the full play of it now, but it has, it will have huge health implications in the end of it. And it's just kind of really getting rolling right now. This is part of the great reset doctrine that we've been talking about resetting the structure of humanity, restructuring people, et cetera. They have chosen to make the metaverse a big deal. And so the companies that support the World Economic Forum, all of a sudden they're saying, we're going to invest billions of dollars into this new technology and we're going to be there. We're going to make it happen. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's flat out just, you know, you, the more you learn about it, the more you don't want to know anything about it, but you have to, because if your kids ever get trapped in it, um, this, this is the kind of thing that is able to capture the souls of men and women. Yeah, That's well, al already, yeah, already you're seeing it with just the screen usage, you know, amongst the young and everything else. And they're the getting, mask. yeah, they're getting trapped in. Yeah, the masks, all those little things are, are uh, they're being sucked into this world. So they'll be susceptible to that sort of, you know, yep. next level of it. And um, yeah, and all of a sudden we're, we're, we're in the matrix or we're Wally, -E, uh, you know, flying around in little pods, you know? Yeah. So George it's Jetson. a, uh, yeah. The stuff that's happening is it's insane. Yes, it is. So I'll defer at this point. I think I'd, I'd like to hear what Reiner has to say. And I know Judy has a lot more to say too, because she does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Well, well, listen, before, before we, uh, we move on, uh, to our, our kind of little second round here, um, where can people buy your books? Uh, what's the best way to follow you? I know you're going to post this on, on your own channels, but, um, but where do people get a hold of you? Well, best place is technocracy.news. That's my professional website. And my books are available there as well as Perfect. on all the online services as well. Um, they can be special ordered from even a local bookstore. If you don't want anybody to know that you bought my book, you want it delivered in a brown paper bag, that's okay. You can get it anywhere you want it. If you don't want to um, be on the list. Very, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very discreet, right? Um, the point is people need to get it, read it. Uh, there's two books, actually. One is Technocracy, Rising the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. The other one is Technocracy, The Hard Road to World Order. And indeed, what we're describing here is a very hard road to world order. I also have a Substack account, by the way. It's just Patrick Wood at Substack. And um, I'm serializing my third book in the trilogy on technocracy. And it will be, the working title is The Evil Twins of Technocracy and Transhumanism. <laughs> and it's a long title. If we can get it all in a book cover, that's going to stick. But... Um, uh, this, I hope this is twin. the last book. Like Judy, this should be the last book we have to write. I have to write it, me. So, yeah. Well, listen, thank you uh, for your contribution to all of this and all the work that you're doing. Um, you know, we need your voice out there powerfully. And so I'm glad you were able to join us here on Liberty Station. And, um, we are going to be moving into our um, part two of this. Um, let's keep being a, a threat to the Great Reset. All right. Sure. Thank you, sir. Appreciate yeah. your time. Thanks, Patrick. See you soon.
Thank you, guys. See you soon. All right. So um, thank you for joining us uh, for that. We are we are now going to take a moment to transition into our next uh, phase of this. So uh, watch part two coming up with uh, with Reiner, and I want to make sure I'm saying this right, Fulmic. Fulmish. He'll say it for you. He's okay, German. wonderful. Yes. Well, Reiner, that part I can pronounce. So, all right, join us for that episode coming up right now as well.